0: Hello and welcome to the World of Emotions and the Emotion Focus podcast, a series dedicated to emotions and for anyone that's interested in finding out more about emotions, how they work for us, how seemingly sometimes they don't work for us, and how we might be able to understand that better. I'm Lou Cooper, I'm based in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm joined in this series by people from around the globe who have dedicated most of their professional lives to the exploration of emotions in one way or another. Everything you hear is informed by emotion theory and emotion-focused therapy. Where lies self compassion? I'm joined in the exploration of that question by Dr. Shari Geller, who is a clinical psychologist and certified mindful self-compassion teacher based in Toronto in Canada. Shari is the co-director of the Centre for Mind-Body Health in Toronto and teaches emotion-focused therapy as well as mindfulness and self-compassion. Thank you for joining me, Shari.
1: It's a pleasure, Lou. It's so nice to be together from across the world.
0: It is. It's fantastic. My heart is warmed every time I speak to someone on the other side of the world as we're a little isolated here in Australia. Um, Let's start with looking at, let's take, can we take the self of self-compassion and just maybe
1: talk about compassion and what compassion is? Sure. I mean, compassion is a way we feel each other's pain, suffering, difficulty, and the want to relieve it. So it's a resonance, it's a reverberation in my own heart in relation to the suffering of others combined with this wish to relieve it.
0: So how does that differ from, say, sympathy and empathy, these things that seem very, very close to each other, very similar?
1: Well, sympathy is a feeling story for someone. So there's a real kind of distancing in that, right? If I'm feeling sorry for you, I'm in a different place, maybe even seeing myself as above you in some way, and there's a disconnect. Empathy has an overlap. You know, I'm feeling the experience of the other as if it were my own, which is the definition of Carl Rogers of empathy, and the reflection back of my understanding. Compassion has elements of that, feeling the experience of the other, particularly feeling the suffering of the other, and not only the wish to relieve it, but it includes, which I know we're going to continue and talk about, compassion for myself. So there's a love, there's a flow, there's a compassion element that actually feeds both the other person and myself. There's been a whole debate, and let's not go too off on it, but between empathy fatigue and compassion fatigue. Researchers such as Tanya Singer have looked at those distinctions, and empathy, it's its more of an empathy fatigue. We feel the other, we feel the other, we feel the other, and that can be tiring if we're not taking care of ourselves or we're not sure what to do in certain circumstances, whereas compassion in and of itself is an offering of love, of care, um, kindness compassion towards someone else in their suffering or a community as well as towards ourselves and it feeds energy it actually we don't get tired when we're compassionate
0: so we can have oodles and oodles of compassion a never ending supply of compassion
1: is that what you're saying there an ocean an ocean of compassion like we like to say in some of our practices
0: an ocean of compassion and that very much contradicts i mean we do hear a lot about compassion fatigue
1: Yes, but I think it's a misnomer. And one of the debates is, as I said, it's more empathy fatigue. But actually, compassion is a positive emotion. It has a lot of energy to it, a lot of um, care, a lot of love, a lot of, and a lot of caring of ourselves as well in that experience. So it feeds our energy.
0: As you're saying that, are you suggesting that If we feel compassion that we, or if we're compassionate, I'm struggling with my language here, if we feel compassion towards someone else, we are necessarily feeling self-compassion as well at the same time?
1: I think it's an inherent part. We're not necessarily always um, feeling it simultaneously. Maybe there's a balance of one more than the other in a certain moment, but it does include ourselves. Compassion can include ourselves.
0: So what's the impact of having self-compassion?
1: Well, I mean, one is it allows us, when we're linking back to emotions, it allows us to be with our suffering and be caring to our suffering rather than shut down. Oftentimes with emotion, you know, we have grown up in a very emotion-avoidant kind of culture and especially when it comes to pain and difficulty, but actually we need to feel our pain and our experiences in order to process them, in order to release them, in order to move through them. And so one element is compassion allows us to meet difficult emotions with kindness versus with judgment, with acceptance versus with, you know, pushing away in some way, um, with a sense of connection to others, an element of self compassion, is common humanity. The fact that we're human and we suffer—it's part of our human nature—versus isolation, which is we're the only ones that go through this. It also, you know, there's been a lot, a lot of research that's come out in terms of self compassion. You know, in terms of increasing resilience, increasing the ability to be with difficult emotions. As I said. Um, to be more caring and supportive in our relationships with others. You know, even they've even shown that people who practice self compassion tend to engage in healthier behaviors like exercise or eating well or drinking less. Or there's even been a study that shows they go to the doctor more regularly, that there's a sense of we're in touch with ourselves, we're caring for ourselves, and we're doing something about it.
0: So we're kind to ourselves, and that allows us to. You know, in that environment, it allows us to feel.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll shift it a little bit in the sense that what compassion and self compassion isn't is, is includes being kind to ourselves, but it particularly is about approaching pain and suffering with kindness. So, when we look at the definition, there's a few different definitions of self compassion, but Um, some of my mentors and teachers in the training and programs that I teach are from a mindful self-compassion perspective. And that's been developed by Chris Germer and Kristen Neff. And they talk about three elements to self-compassion. There's mindfulness. I'm aware of my experience as I'm experiencing it. Mm -hmm. There's common humanity. As I was saying before, I'm part of a human condition, which is we suffer, we have difficulties. That is part of being human. And self-kindness, that we're bringing kindness to some of that pain. And when we can approach our emotions and our pain with kindness, and I mean, we need mindfulness first, we need to be aware of what we're feeling in order to then bring kindness to it. But when we can approach it in that way, then we can allow ourselves to both Open to our difficult emotions, be able to share them with others, to be vulnerable, which increases our sense of connection with both ourselves and with other people. And it also, you know, allows us to work through difficult emotions by offering this counter emotion. Um, one of our mentors, Lewis Leslie Greenberg, who talks about changing emotion with emotion. And when we bring compassion to some of our pain and sadness or our difficulties, then it helps it to transform. It doesn't just stay stuck and push down. And when we push down what's there, we then engage in unhealthy behaviors or we disconnect from people or we disconnect from ourselves, all of these kinds of things. So, emotions, as we know, give us information, allow us to know what we're feeling. It's a natural response to life and to things that happen. And compassion and self-compassion particularly helps us to be with those so that we can feel them and let them go. Things get stuck when they're not felt. For example, if we go through, you know, a difficult experience, let's say when we're young, a trauma, um, some kind of difficulty, a loss, a grief, and we don't really have someone to help us listen, either someone there to listen to our experience Or for us to have the skills to be able to go through those experiences, so we push it down. And sometimes that's functional because when you're young, it's often functional because there's not someone there who can help. But even in our later times, sometimes it can help us to, you know, numb things, which is okay for a short period of time. But if we stay there, that's when we start increasing numbing, addictions, Um, again, disconnect, isolation, all sorts of ways. And when we can instead learn how to be compassionate to pain and difficulty, then we can feel our grief in response to loss, or we can feel our hurt in response to how someone treats us. And then we can work it through, we can let it go, we can transform it, and we can move forward as opposed to staying stuck.
0: Is a, is one of the first steps, Shari, to, be, to feel have self-compassion in relation to the fact that we... A lot of us have grown up in this avoidant society that we maybe haven't learned self compassion. We haven't learned to um, experience our emotions. That, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, is that the first step to be compassionate for ourselves in that environment?
1: Yeah. In a way, it's even being compassionate that we didn't have that kind of support or that kind of connection or ability to process emotions. I mean when you were talking, I was thinking about how self-compassion as an adult is almost a way to reparent ourselves. Right? Because many people grew up with parents that either weren't able or weren't capable of being there through challenges that might have even been a part of the challenges, neglect, trauma, abuse that occurred. And then no one's there and we shut down. And then as adults, we can't go back and have that parent. We often have to grieve that unmet need from the parent. But then we can meet it in ourselves. We can learn how to be with some of the pain and difficulty, both from past and current, in a way that helps us to reparent ourselves. So is it the first step? It's an important step. It's not an easy step. You know, the way I'm speaking about it it sounds like, yes, we just do that. But actually, we hit a lot of obstacles. You know, when we bring compassion to ourselves, we often, or even when we bring love to ourselves, we often come across the conditions for which we felt unloved. And then we have to bring compassion to that pain.
0: Yeah, it does sound very easy as you're talking about it, Shari. I'm wondering whether you could give an example of that, of hitting an obstacle.
1: Yeah, it might be okay. We're going through a practice You know, maybe it's a loving kindness practice. May I be safe? May I feel loved? May I be well? And then it's like, oh, I don't feel lovable. I don't feel like I deserve love. I, you know, and then it hits all the old wounds, right? Yeah, I was criticized growing up. I was bullied. I had parents that were critical, siblings. I've internalized that shame and ways of feeling unlovable. And then that that pain opens up, right? So then we need to learn how do we bring compassion and kindness to that pain and really slow it down. And it's a very, you know, we talk about in self-compassion to be a slow learner, to really um, approach some of this very slowly, to know when we can open to some of that pain, to know when we have to close. Sometimes we need to close, and that's okay. The goal is not to be open all the time to everything that's there, is to know when we need to open and know when we need to close.
0: This is particularly challenging, Shari, in the world that we live in that is generally really fast. And you're suggesting this needs to be slow. This isn't a fix it. This isn't a solution. This is something that will take time.
1: Yes. All of these things, being with ourselves, being with emotions, being with ourselves with compassion being present in that kind of way, it's intentional because there is a lot of fast-moving parts in our society, a lot of poles, a lot of distractions, a lot of ways to get away from ourselves. I mean, that's why people spend hours and hours on their phone, right? It's a way of getting away. I know it has other positives as well, of course, but there's a lot of fastness. And so to be slow, like any mindful contemplative practice has an intentionality between it, but it also is important to do it in a community. I mean, that's why there are eight-week mindful self-compassion programs or five-day intensives or ways to be able to be in a community who's practicing this together to learn it together. It's harder on your own, but it's possible, but it is harder.
0: Well, that's probably an obstacle for some people in the first place to join A group to do that to approach this in a group with other people is very challenging for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that that becomes part of the work too. How do we be with the bring kindness to the fact that it is challenging, right? And part of any of the courses, you know, as a uh, certified teacher in self-compassion and and teacher in some of the programs that exist in Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. The biggest uh, focus as a teacher in self-compassion is to create an environment that's safe, to embody presence, to be able to bring ourselves to the classroom, to the groups that we're bringing a sense of acceptance and kindness and compassion in the forum itself so that there is safety. That doesn't mean it's easy, but it means that there's an environment that supports the challenge of some of this that we're talking about. And, you know, Lou, I just want to make sure I cover something because the way I'm talking about compassion is also a particular type of self-compassion, which we would call kind of a kind or a yin, if you look at the yin and yang, it's bringing compassion to ourselves through pain. But there's also been more attention from Kristin Neff and others, um, Tara Brach, other teachers around fierce compassion, which is another form of self-compassion. And that includes setting boundaries, saying no when you're violated, saying, saying um, this is not okay, standing up for yourself in the world. And there's a lot of this need in a world where we're looking at a lot of the impact of decades of um, racial racialization um, around not just race, sexuality, gender. There's so many ways there's been so much oppression And being able to take a stand for yourself is also a form of self-compassion, being able to say, no, that's not okay, or for someone else, or for a community. So it's a bit of an aside, but I feel like it's important that I say that because the first, we've been talking a lot about tender self-compassion, which is being with our emotion, being with our pain in a tender way. It's comforting, it's reassuring, it's about validating ourselves, and Fierce of self-compassion is more about acting in the world in a fierce way to protect, to provide, to motivate ourselves. So both of these are important and they're needed in different ways. I know I took a bit of a left turn there, but I felt it was important to acknowledge those distinctions. That's
0: okay. You've come back, Shari. <laughs> okay. and I think, it was, I think it, it was really important that kind of active, sort of standing up for yourself, as you say, protecting your boundaries. That is not yes. going to happen with just being. It needs action. That's right.
1: And that's for ourselves and
0: others. So, so Shari, anyone that's listening thinking, I want this, I want more of this,
1: <laughs> what, where, how do they start? <laughs> you know, the real core, the quintessential question in self compassion is what do I need? And maybe that's a starting point to be able to, when you notice your suffering, To ask, what do I need right now? Maybe I need to call a friend. Maybe I need to take a walk. Maybe I need a soothing bath, right? Some kind of way of of bringing kindness to some of the suffering and pain that you're experiencing. You know, it might be also a gesture to yourself, right? Being able to, oh, we feel pain in our bodies often. You know, I might have the pain in my heart or my gut. Put a hand on it just as you would a small child or just as you would a, your pet or animal who was suffering, putting a kind hand on some of that pain, saying, hey, I'm here for you. You know, I'm here for you. I want to understand you. Those are not easy, but they're simple ways of being able to really start. How do we turn towards our experience with some kindness, um, asking ourselves what we need and Trying to give ourselves what we need, especially in moments of suffering.
0: I'm going to ask, I don't want this to sound flippant, but I'm going to ask myself right now what I need, and it's a cup of tea with my hand on my heart. Beautiful. To look after myself, to be kind to myself. Shari, what's f- for you right now, if you ask yourself that question right now?
1: Hmm. I need a walk with my dogs. Okay. It's been a stressful week. There's been a lot going on, a lot of sitting at a computer. My body needs to move, and I think I will do that once we finish our conversation together.
0: Shari, as we finish right now, beautiful timing. Thank you for that lead. Thank you very much for joining me in this exploration, this short exploration of self-compassion shari geller who is a clinical psychologist and co-director of the center for mind body health in toronto thank you shari
1: oh it's a pleasure lou really appreciate you inviting me onto this fabulous podcast i really think it's wonderful and to open up to the world of emotions and help people to do so is a real gift to the world
0: Thank you so much for listening in. If you'd like to find out more about this podcast and the people you've heard speaking, as well as more episodes, go to our website, emotionfocused.com.